Welcome to another edition of Strength from Service uh, with your host. There's a, a whole bunch of us as always. My name is Jake Palmer, joined by uh, Jack Zimmerman and Mike McLaughlin, and we're so glad that you chose to join us today. Mike, uh, why don't you introduce our special guest? Sure thing. Uh, so our guest today is uh, Anthony Ronald Dickmeyer, oh also known why? as uh, why? <laughs> Tony uh, Dickmeyer. Uh, Tony and me were, were classmates uh, in high school, junior high, uh, I believe Tony is a past uh, high school state champion also in track and field. Yeah, yeah. That's correct. Uh, true team, true team. True, true team. So he was part, yeah. of, part of that team. Uh, he was also uh, a runner-up in state football 2001 as oh. well as yeah, I was too. Yeah, 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 I was there. We won't talk about uh, fielding uh, punt returns here yeah. uh, on this one. Uh, that's, that's, a diff- that's a different <laughs> podcast, yeah. Yeah. different, different oh, yeah. show. Yeah. Actually, therapy. Yeah, yeah. 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 And there's no innuendo there, no. just literally fielding punt returns. Yes. Yeah, yes. nothing there. Uh, Tony, uh, also like a lot of us of our uh, generation that were graduating around that uh, turn of the century of 2000, 2001, two, three, uh, enlisted in the Navy post-high school, uh, went off and served his country for a couple of years, uh, came back home, did a various uh, grouping of odd jobs in the private sector, nonprofit, uh, doing some philanthropic and volunteering too as well. Uh, also uh, had some of his own trials and tribulations on that adjustment and kind of finding the, the new uh, normal and, and coming into family life and balancing uh, the pressures of that along with addiction and recovery and a few other uh, lumps along the way. But now he's uh, been a staple in the recovery community here for the last five years, uh, supporting uh, those along that path line, then also empowering them uh, as a mentor through Vets Court, a sponsor through uh, AA, and now most his, his most recent endeavor, uh, two guys that don't drink, uh, which he co-hosts. Two, two dudes. Two dudes. Two dudes that don't drink. Two dudes that don't drink. It's a Navy uh, thing, Mike. Yeah, we can <laughs> edit that one out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, two dudes that don't uh, drink co-hosted with uh, Tyson Dull, uh, another classmate of ours, which right. is, is pretty cool too. So with that, welcome Anthony Ronald Dickmeyer. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, welcome. I, I don't know, Tony. I can't even I know you've told me your full name before, but I don't even know what it is. Yeah, so we found out what my name was supposed to be when we interviewed my dad. Uh it was supposed to be Walter yeah. Lewis McLaughlin. <laughs> so I would have been Wally Lou, well, uh, which you know it, <laughs> yeah. it's gotta get a alliteration to it, I guess. Right. If that's right. even a word I can spell. <laughs> they would have changed it at boot camp, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Were you guys were you guys close in high school? Uh, me and my dad? No, yeah. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. Uh, we, I would say we ran around kind of uh, circles that kind of Venn diagrammed, overlapped each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wouldn't say we were having uh, sleepovers and doing our hair together. Right, right. But, I mean, a lot of the same, you know, sports, a lot of the same friends, same same parties, the whole thing that high school kids do. For the, for the most part, I would say our, our class had a – you know, pretty mellow demeanor to it. So everyone more or less got along the yeah. best he could. So, uh, but uh, with that, Tony, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up? Uh, well, 140 Atwood Drive, uh, Mankato <laughs> here. Yeah, <laughs> specific address. Um, yeah, Mankato. And then also Duck Lake uh, was uh, always out on the lake as a kid. Uh, my parents... I happen to live out there now, um, so it was one home in the in the winter and the cabin in the summer, and uh, which kind of drove why I went into the Navy. Um, but uh, Do you have a good floaty growing up, or what? I, I had a great floaty <laughs> yeah. growing up. Growing like, oh, up. Man, I'd love to do this on some bigger water. <laughs> yeah, I actually we actually had um, these little John boats. The uh, 
the boat was like a seven horse. You know, normally they're like even numbers, but this was like a seven horse. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was my first boat that they called us the Lake Pirates because it was me and a couple other kids that had lake boat or these little John boats. And we would terrorize people because we knew how to hit these things. And, you know, they're handheld and you could come up and hit them with it and splash other people. And, yeah, we kind of terrorize people out on the lake. But um, so... uh, Elementary school did the thing. Well, that back in the day, middle school was not what it is now here. Uh, it was, I went to Washington Elementary. Then then you had to go down to Franklin for sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Proving he, ground. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Down in the Mike's area there. Yeah. His, his stomping ground. Uh, he actually beat us in. You know how they, you know, mm-hmm. call, not really. They yeah. call it jump you in. Yeah. yeah the <laughs> jump streets. in. Jump you in. Uh, beat you in, whatever. Uh, uh, and then yeah. back in the day, yeah, we, uh, and then you go up to East Junior High, which doesn't exist anymore, which now you would go to Prairie Winds if you're on the east side. Um, so then went to East all the way through high school. And uh, then September of uh, 2001, I uh, was walking to class and uh, there was some commotion and got into class and the TV was on and there's some planes driving into these, uh, flying into these these buildings in New York. And it was like, what is going on? What, you know, everyone, we all had our feelings and we all had our own experience with it. And, um, have you ever been to ground zero? I haven't. No, I'm, I've, uh, no, super. Uh, a couple years ago I had the opportunity to go and, uh, it was super, uh, surreal to be there because, you know, like, you know, I, I wasn't in the military. Obviously you weren't in the military. You weren't in the military when, when this all happened, you know? And, at that point in our lives, we really could have went any direction, you know, we, we didn't have to join the military or whatever, you know? And as I sat at ground zero, it just was like, I never realized how big, you know, this spot right here on earth, how much that changed, it was going to change my life forever, you know, in an extremely drastic way, you know? So, um, yeah, I I didn't even know I was going to have those feelings. So I was actually there, you know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. even something I could even prepare for, you know, but, uh, it's something I, I think every every OIF OEF veteran should go visit, and um, you know it's uh, and then obviously went through the museum and stuff. But yeah, really, I've been to Pearl Harbor like seven times, so yeah. I mean it's definitely uh, on my list. Yeah, uh, yeah, actually, I uh, it's on the bucket list for yeah, sure. His sure. Ground Somebody Zero. Go, yeah. uh, I did. We, my mom and dad, had a wedding. Or uh, um, yeah, wedding anniversary, and they brought us to Hawaii oh, and cool. and saw Pearl Harbor, and I actually cried. Yeah, I mean, as a child, like a high school student, yeah. like I was, you know, this athlete, and I'm like crying at Pearl Harbor at the uh, USS Arizona uh, memorial. It's it's it was very very that, that was real. one of the probably coolest things I ever volunteered for. I mean. you Obviously, we joke that you don't volunteer really for anything in the military. You just get voluntold or yeah. sele- mm-hmm. selected for it. But um, my first uh, deployment, we took ship transport uh, over through the Pacific Ocean, and we stopped in Honolulu to uh, pick up some more uh, Marines and some more resources there too. But when you come into Pearl Harbor, uh, the Navy ships man the rails when they come by the USS Arizona and Fort Island and on that. And so when they man the rails on ships where the Marines are, they'll do like – Every seventh sailor, they'll put a Marine in uh, in there. Usually why people don't volunteer for it is because you got to go all the way into your birthing space, pull your sea bags out, pull your dress uniforms yeah. out, and spend the day getting them all ready. 
well, I volunteered for it because I was like, we're going to be man on the rails going by the USS Arizona. So I was on the Bonham Richard, which is decommissioned now, but it's essentially like a mini carrier. So you're elevated way above everything. It's all flat when you come in there. And it's just silent when you're coming in on this huge warship by the USS Arizona and by the uh, Fort Island and where Oklahoma and a bunch of those other ships were. What an honor, though, to be able to do that, though, mm-hmm. I mean. Oh, dude, it was stellar. Like I said, there, there's not many things I'm, I volunteered for in the military that required dress uniforms because I was a field right. marine. Absolutely. Uh, that was definitely Same. one. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, but but anyways, enough uh, enough about us. Um, what was, I mean, like with with uh, your mom and dad, uh, what did what mom and dad do? Did they have any military service? Grandparents have any military service? Uh, my mom and dad, no. Uh, my grandpa was... Uh, actually a pilot in the Navy. Um, he was, uh, let's see, I'm not, I'm not very good with the years and stuff, but he was actually, I think it was world war two. Uh, he was flying, he was training in Corpus Christi where I happened to be stationed. I was stationed actually 10 miles north of Corpus Christi, uh, my home, home base. Uh, and, uh, the war ended just before he was going to go, sure. uh, in world war two. Um, but, I have two cousins that uh, one was in the army, one was in the navy. Um, I have a couple of uncles that were in the navy. Um, I think another cousin of mine was in the navy. Uh, yeah, he was. He's uh, he was a nuke engineer, way smarter. Way than smart. Me. Yeah, way smarter like than me. Five years of, or four years of school almost. Yeah, like yeah. They were all just back, so we had some good time to to reminisce with them. Uh, yeah. Um, catch up. So, so uh, any other uh, community service in, in the family? Because it kind of, I mean, strength and service is the show. And so we we look at just kind of some of the environments you, you grew up into and maybe having some other uh, people around at a younger age that were volunteering or serving in the community. I know actually from our past discussions, both your parents are pretty active or were pretty active in the church and, and kind of involved in that side of it. Always, too. yeah, always active in the church. Um, dad was always in. You know, he's a part of Sertoma, uh, other clubs, other organizations. Um, Mom has always been a nonprofit guru, so her, 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 her strength and service is like top notch, and that actually drove a lot of why I uh, got on boards, jumped on other committees. Um, have always kind of had this knack to to serve the community. Um, and just a, you know, better community, but, um, yeah, there's very, very much. So, um, well, between the, some of those boards and stuff too, um, I mean, you had, you had family like put themselves in the fray too, to run for local government offices. Yep. Mom did, offices too. Yep. yep. Mom did that, uh, for, um, what is it? House of representatives yep. for the state. She did that. Uh, that was an experience in, that was actually while I was in the service, um, that was actually, she was campaigning while it was my first year in the service and she actually wanted a, you know, that family picture and yeah. I came home in my dress whites and we had that picture and it was, you know, you, you did that whole thing. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't have got by wearing the whites. I would have been dirty all the time. No, I would have had Copenhagen dribble on <laughs> right. yeah. my lights back when I chewed. Um, but, and then, then two, just on, on that line. So, um, the, family, uh, service. Um, you, and you were always, I remember growing up, always really drawn to athletics or team sports too. Uh, was that rooted in any uh, family tradition or anything at all too, or just a desire to, to get out there and be part of a team? 
Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, dad always pushed us to do things. You know, mom was right there, always supportive as well. Um, but I just had a competitive nature to me and always wanted to surround myself with a, with a good group of guys that were able to, to achieve success and go out there and grind and, and get her done. And, and that's, you know, another reason why the, the military was so appealing after, uh, uh, not finding what I wanted to find uh, to further my athletic career after high school, um, it was it was yep all right we're we're going military here yeah um, and on on that line too uh, did you, did you you go on the buddy program with a I did guys too? Uh, yeah I you did. yeah so um, Matt went in uh, the buddy program with a buddy of ours uh, who graduated with Mike Gunderson and uh, Mike and I were supposed to go in together you go up to Maps we all know what Maps is. Um, they, you know, put you through all these medical, uh, you know, tests or whatever. And, uh, um, the duck walk. Yeah. I don't, I mean, yeah, probably the duck walk. Check yeah. Your tailbone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I get up there. Um, I am color deficient. I know I'm color deficient and I get, does that mean color blind, color blind, color deficient. I'm, I don't, I can't see black. I'm not like grayscale or anything. I can still see color, but some colors mess with me like the white, red and green light that they have you test on. And so I do the test and the guy's like, looks at me and he's like, do you know you're colorblind? And I was like, no. And he's like, well, I'm going to pass you, but good luck in boot camp. And I was like, all right. So I go to the next station. Well, the next station is where they draw blood. And I know I don't like getting my blood drawn Uh, in kindergarten. They, they hit you. With, you know, your kindergarten checkup, they got to hit you with your... Um, I don't remember them. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> they pick your they prick your finger and they take your blood or whatever. Well, I passed out, woke up, and puked up my root beer popsicle that I'd just <laughs> eaten before that. So, maps, guess what I do? I get my blood drawn. They're like, are you all right? And I was like, yep. And I walk over to the next station. I sit down and boom, I'm out again. And oh. next thing I know, there's this guy... Hit, hit me and he's like hey hey man are you all right you're all right and i was like oh i was like oh man i did it again well <laughs> not only did i do it again i also urinated all over myself oh no uh, oh, so terrible. i and they're like <gasps> you can't you can't go in the navy you can't you can't go in the service and it was like because no sailors ever passed out and pissed themselves yeah <laughs> no absolutely not no no absolutely Check not for qualification yeah. so they're like you got to go get cleared from a, uh, your family doctor Go back to my family doctor. He's like, dude, you're fine. You're clean bill of health. You just have this fainting spell when you when you get your you get a blood vas- drawn. Vasal vagus. He's <laughs> like, I have a surgeon buddy who the minute you put a needle next to his arm, he's done. But he can cut somebody's heart open and all this stuff and no problem. So he's like, you're fine. Get in there. Go you're get like, him, tiger. Like, and, are you saying uh, I'm supposed to be a surgeon? I don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand. So, um, what what time is this? So I mean, we graduated. 2002 so was this the- was like right after i went into the delayed entry program so it was like right after so uh mike ends up getting in on the date we were supposed to go in i had to wait because i had to go to the through the doctor and uh and then ended up going in like six months after or something so um, when did you finally ship to boot camp what time uh march of 2003 okay so yeah. i mean at least you got about nine months post yeah. high school to hang around and that that time period besides doing the waiver stuff, I mean, were you just 
hanging around working for mom and dad, doing working for dad and partying straight up raging partying as an 18 year old. Just (laughs) I had moved out of the house actually two weeks before we had graduated. Me and three other buddies had moved out and we partied. Yeah. And party, party, party. This is a common theme that will continue on in my story. Oh, yeah. uh, was that was that down at, were you guys all down at the Lincoln Park? Florence, Florence Street. Actually, that house is not there anymore. Oh, really? And uh, we came Your to find- Your fault or no? Yeah, so you guys oh. burned it down? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every, every sailor is a firefighter. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, we are. Uh, no, um, it's not our fault. Um, we found out that it was actually uh, MSU Hockey- uh, they lived in the, a couple of the hockey players that lived in there in that house prior to us as well. And they used to have these huge rager parties. And so like two hockey players showed up one night and they're like, Hey man, you're like, what is going on? And it's like, well, it's like a Wednesday night and we're all like chilling. Like, I guess you can come see this house. Well, they were explaining how they'd have these massive parties. Then it would just, it was a pay the rent party and they would get a keg and yep. they would get enough money to, to pay the party or to pay their rent. And, um, so, uh, yeah, we lived down there and then I shipped off and went into Navy boot camp. And where'd you ship to, uh, great lakes, Illinois, which is still there. They still, uh, but apparently there's some of the buildings they've torn down and renovated some of the stuff. Um, so go back to the colorblind story. Good luck in boot camp. get to boot camp first week. They, you got to redo all these tests over again. Oh and, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Yep. So, um, and I actually had went in on the delayed entry program as, um, a special forces candidate in a program called SWIC, uh, surface warfare combatant craft crewman, basically the taxi drivers of the seals and re- rewind back to my days, uh, on the lake. I know how to drive a boat. I know how to drive a boat very well. I used to get inches away from the dock and spray people with water all the time. I want to drive these turbo uh, souped up uh, river boats for the SEALs. That's what I wanted to do in the Navy. Well, you got to have a prerequisite. And uh, yes, so I get to I get to boot camp. Two dude, two just kids right out of boot camp are doing this. And it's the red, green, and, and white yeah. light again. Damn. And the white and green light look the same to me. And then the red light looks orange. So I'm flat out guessing. I'm like, white, green, red. And then red, green, white. And that when I was done, they both looked at each other with this like like cartoonish, confused look. And they're like, uh, we got to talk to Chief. And they brought in this senior chief. And <clears throat> turns, they're like, hey, you're colorblind, man. You can either get out or... They slide a laminated sheet of paper to me, and they're like, you can choose one of these 16 rates, which a rate in the Navy is your job. Okay. And uh, I had already had chosen an engineman because I was fairly well. Um, uh, I, I, had, I knew how to keep an engine running, a boat engine running, an outboard motor engine running. <clears throat> so I was like, well, I'm already made it this far, so I'm going to keep going. Yeah. So then I was an engineman. Uh, Graduated boot camp, actually graduated with honors, and was ended up being the leader of my boot camp division. Um, so they just call it a leader. I think it's a, it's a guy. It's an RCPO, the Recruit Chief Petty Officer. Um, 
And uh, there was like six guys before me that tried to do this and nobody could lead them. And finally, we're out on the grinder, the parking lot. It's called the parking. The Navy calls that a grinder. <laughs> parade and, duck. Yeah, yeah parade duck. <laughs> and uh, there, the, our boot camp, uh, our drill sergeant, they, um, the recruit, or not the recruit chief, the chief petty officer, whatever, the drill sergeant was like, can anybody do this? And he's like, and I was like, oh my God. And I'm like, fine. Yep. I'm going to do it. And he's like, Dick Meyer. No way. Get your ass back in line. And I was like, no, sir, I can do this. And he's like, all right, get your ass up here and marched him on and didn't look back and led that uh, division all the way through uh, graduation and then graduated with honors. And, so did you pick, uh, pick up extra rank for that then too? Uh, you do get a little uh, points. You do get some points. Um, so you had to go for um, the recruit honor. You have to get interviewed. And there's this like panel of like eight senior uh, enlisted personnel And the Navy is so kind to you that um, when you become a chief, you get these anchors. And then once you keep going as senior chief and then master chief, they put a little star uh, in it's the all shiny. too. It's all shiny in the senior chief stars at the top of this anchor. And you cannot see it. You I don't care who you are. You cannot see this. Especially and if you're colorblind. Especially when you're colorblind. <laughs> exactly. So I'm getting interviewed by this to get these honors. And there's a senior chief right here asking me questions. And I'm like, chief, I did blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, shit. Senior, senior chief, I did blah, 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 blah. And I'm like just stumbling over this whole thing. And I can see some other guys like chuckling, damn near chuckling, because I'm just destroying this interview. And uh, I ended up. I didn't get full honors. The other guy, uh, the other division guy got the full honors. Whatever. And I still got honors and I did well. And, and I was like, oh, this is going to be a breeze. This would be a breeze. Well, and uh, when I was on ship too, that was anybody I saw with anchors. Hey, what's up chief? It was, <laughs> I equated it to a Sarge in the army. Like right, any, yeah, any, anybody that's, you know, five to Sar- seven Sergeant through seven is, you know, yeah. you try calling a Marine uh gunny, you know, Sarge, right. lose their damn mind. So, but, <laughs> Uh, chiefs don't senior chiefs don't like it. No, uh, they don't. Any call. Hey, it's up, chief. <laughs> so, uh, Tony, I want to back up just a little bit because I, I I think this is an important question. So, your uh, your motivation, your drive to uh, to join the Navy and and to do that um, was that did that all stem from nine eleven and that day walking into school and seeing that? What was what was your, your what was your reaction to uh, to nine eleven and was that the the inspiration, if you will? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, one hundred percent. It was. I have to do something here. Like, um, you're not gonna, you can't do that. That's, you're not gonna Mm -hmm. do that. Uh, like you just shit in my backyard here. Like you don't shit on my yard. And, um, I was an athletic, uh, individual, I was an athletic kid and, um, was like, this is, this is going to be no problem for me and went in. And so, yeah, absolutely. 9-11 was the driving factor. Now, I wasn't going to, I also wasn't going to not do anything after high school. I, um, kind of was a C student, um, wasn't hitting any, uh, you know, graduating with honors as a a academic honors or anything like that. C's mean degrees. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, and graduated high school, you know, with no problem or anything, but no college was like, Hey, you're a really good student. We want you. (laughs) So um, but I wasn't going to sit around. I wasn't going to just sit on my thumbs and, and not do anything. Wow. 
What is that yeah. supposed to mean? I just sit around all the time. That's all I do now, Tony. Well, I, well, I mean, there, there it is. There. Yeah, far away yeah, into the number power. one. Uh, it's number yeah. one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I had to get my no leg joke in. Yeah. yeah. Got it in early. I like it. I like it. So, yeah. do you remember? And for my own, uh, I think I talked a little bit about on our intro show. Uh, I was in Mrs. Corporal's class, uh, and we it was business class. So, I mean, they had the the TV monitor in there for MSNBC mm-hmm. business or something mm-hmm. that was on. And they caught to it. Do you remember what class you were in? No. It was, um, no, I was going to class. And so. You're late. I, yeah, well, yeah I was late. late. Absolutely. Um, I think it was Missile Lawson's like. Uh, Speech or theater Yeah, or something. something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I didn't really pay attention in high school. So. Yeah. I mean. I was just there. I understand sports. the haze. I definitely do. So. Yes. Um, so. Uh, make through boot camp. Then what? Uh Division leader, uh, do you go to A school? Do you go to yep, unit? You, or- yep. So A school, which is for your army guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's your MOS school, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's where you go to learn what you're going to do in the army or the navy. Uh, navy, I go. Um, it, it's an engineman school, so um, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to work on outboard motors, and they're like, "No, you're not. You're going to work on giant diesel engines, like giant." engines where the cylinder you can literally walk in the cylinder of these engines um so that's what i learned in a school um which is handy when you get out too right there's a lot of giant useful yeah yeah giant diesel engines um so when i get out um party kid party tony comes back remember this is a common denominator here in this party tony comes back in and you're in the navy now and you're getting a steady paycheck it's not 10 bucks an hour anymore from your dad um, or bumming a couple of bucks to party with your buddies. You got a paycheck now. Yep. And uh, my birthday, um, I, I don't know if I should be saying this, but my birthday was 1983. And uh, I was able to uh, make a fake ID oh, nice. with my military ID. That's only sure. a crime in the state of Illinois, though. So <laughs> okay. not well, yeah, I was in the state of Illinois. I know. That's what I'm saying. You're in Minnesota now. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so, long time ago. Double jeopardy. I can't. Yeah, right. I've never, yeah, yeah I can't get uh, convicted. For that, You'll right? be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah right? you'll be fine. Totally. So, <laughs> nobody's ever gotten arrested off of our podcast before. Yeah. No. <laughs> Might so be far. the first one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I uh, I start partying and in A school, and um, Minnesota is an easy six hour drive home. And so I'm in Northern Chicago and all I got to do is jump on 90 and 94, 90 and zip home. So in the Navy, it's just like college. Like you're there in the A school, you have your instructors and then you're on your own. Like you're, and there's nobody watching you. There's no supervisors. Of course there was a, in your barracks, there's a barracks supervisor or whatever, but he doesn't give a shit. Like do whatever you want to do. So Thursday night, we're partying. I didn't party a whole lot in, um, I didn't use my fake ID a whole lot because I didn't want to get caught. I, you know, whatever. Well, and um, I suppose a lot of the, the other, uh, well, not recruits anymore, sailors were probably still of that 18, 19 year old age too. So a lot of your there, cohort. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of of age uh, individuals, but I certainly found the guys who were. Yeah, every now and then you get that 35 year old. Yeah, yeah. Well. Yeah, there was there was a couple of characters, but uh, I would actually drive home on Friday night. I actually it was like Friday because a school you'd get done around like noon on Fridays and I'd hop in the car and I'm home. I'm back here with all my buddies that I just got done partying with. 
Um, and all everyone was kind of still here uh, and would party from Friday until Sunday night. I'd hop back in the truck um, and then drive back six hours back to Chicago and would make it back by like two in the morning, <clears throat> park my truck in this little gravel lot with all the other um, it wasn't a, an on-base parking, but you could park at this parking lot and then walk to one of the side gates and you could get in and that's where I parked my truck. And I had this little two-door Ford Ranger, just super basic. And everyone else's car was getting broken into but mine. It was just this like, <laughs> so. I was like well, I didn't leave anything in there. It was just this little piece of shit. And it was like, no, hey, why well, would you break into your own truck? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. No, I was not breaking into people's cars. Um, Well, were you not supposed to have a vehicle in a school? No, you were not. No, you weren't. But there was. And so I did that until I got uh, shipped off to my first uh, duty station, which was in Ingleside, Texas. Um, That base no longer exists. Um, I was a part of the mine hunting community. Uh, Me too. <laughs> oh, well, time. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess some people find them differently than others. Yeah, oh. right. Yeah. Um, and I was not working on these uh, outboard motors that I so desperately wanted to work on or be a part of, and and yeah. Um, and it was not the engine that I learned in a school. It is a. Um, so these sh- the ships that I, I was on, they're 188 feet long by 88 feet wide. They're mine hunters. And uh, traditional Navy vessels have what they call a screw. It's a prop. Mm-hmm. Um, and Navy ships take a long time to take a corner. And But these, these uh, mine hunters were equipped with a um, Voith Schneider propeller system. If anyone wants to look that up you can uh basically what it was was an egg beater two egg beaters went straight down into the water and then spun and it propelled you forward and then you could turn on a dime so you could do cue routes back and forth back and forth back and forth back and forth to hunt for mines and then there's this giant sonar that was in the middle of these navy vessels well the diesel engines on board these ships um the contractor that won that bid was an Italian-made company, an Italian company called Isata Fercini. Now, uh, from, from what I know, <laughs> Isata Fercini is known for F1 racing engines, gasoline, like jet fuel, not diesel engines that actually are an aluminum hull or aluminum block uh, surrounded by an aluminum conclosure because we're hunting for mines on the bottom of the ocean, and mines on the bottom of the ocean are typically magnetic. So our magnetic signature has to be extremely low, so we're not getting these mines coming up to hit us. Sure. Um, so if anyone knows anything about engines or your car engine, your car engine runs pretty hot. Uh, your 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 racing engine runs really hot. Sometimes really too hot. <laughs> really, really too hot. Uh, and so these aluminum blocks with aluminum heads and aluminum pistons would constantly break down. Um, it was a very, I don't know, it was a poor design. So, um, so you were busy. Yeah, we were busy. Yeah, we were busy. Uh, but just like the Navy way, um, I don't think we ever touched those engines while we were in port. Uh, a contractor would come in and work on them if they were totally destroyed. But, um, we were there to maintain 
and keep that ship running when it was underway. And so that's what I did. Uh, I mean, did you, did you fall under? So when you got to your ship, uh, well, you were on two ships. Well, you remember what was the ship name? Oh uh, yeah. The, the first one is the USS Heron. They're all seabird names. Um, and then, uh, it was, and then we got deployed to Bahrain and we did a crew swap. And so normally, um, there, you, you know, your ship goes with your crew or whatever. Well, they just took the crews off of the ship. Cause there's only like 80 guys on these ships. No, 52 guys on these ships and, and they just swapped us out. Sure. Um, so they just flew us over to Bahrain. Um, so that was in, uh, I got to back up here. So when I get to my ship, uh, one of the chiefs. First chief I meet, great guy, Jason Ray. He was, he came up, he was on, he was in my wedding. He was a part of my wedding. One of the most best guys I've ever met in my entire life. I'm pretty sure he told me, welcome to the Heron, buy a carton of cigs. Because <laughs> in, in the Navy. Watch. Yeah. You don't get a break. Well, you don't get a break from work unless you smoked. So naturally, everyone smoked. Right. And why, then why nobody in the Navy runs. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then on watch, of course, you know, you get the balls to four, which is midnight to 4 a.m. What do you do? You stand there on deck and watch the Pelicans eat fish and huff cigs all day. So you get something to do. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so Party Tony is still in play here. So now I'm in southern Texas and I'm a Minnesota kid. And it's, by the way, it's 98% humidity in Southern Texas, Corpus mm. Christi. You're right on the, you're, you're on the coast. It's humid is all hell, you know, down there. And, um, so Minnesota kid, I'm like a local celebrity down there. Cause yeah, no, you betcha. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got this weird accent. So I'm, I'm partying still I have this fake ID. It's working great. It's Corpus Christi can be kind of a. A spring break destination. Sure. So yep. Party Tony is just loving this. Well, in your close proximity to South Padre, you're a you know weekend drive to go over there. Which, to... um, oddly enough, we never actually went to South Padre. Oh, really? Which, um, and then oddly enough, even more oddly, is those whole island, the strip of islands is the South Padre Islands. So South Padre Island goes from the southern tip of Texas, I think damn near to Galveston. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the party spot is down in Port Elizabeth, which is at that southern tip of texas and we never made it down there because there was plenty of like there's this port aransas was like five minutes away from the base and that's how you pronounce that i've never been able to figure that out <laughs> port aransas port aransas yeah Arnassus. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been saying around people like yeah sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was Good a pretty decent party there, spot yeah. so yeah. we just you just did it there and you were so too were you living in the barracks at this time yeah or? living in the barracks um eventually made e5 and then E5, you can live off base. So me and another buddy go live off base and continue to party. And, you know, we're responsible. It's not like I'm hammered all the time. And that was one thing through my, through this whole thing is, like, you still have to be uh, a reasonable human being and well, you know, be a functioning al- alcoholic, I, say, I that, guess. That's one thing I think I've noticed from the military in general. So the normal military, uh, the Army and the Navy and the Marine Corps, Air Force is a little different out yeah, there. Yeah. They're actually professionals. When they, <laughs> uh, but no, from from uh, those that served, as it seems like, um, you know, at least during that deployment cycle side of it where you were getting activated and sent overseas, you know, pretty much guaranteed, 
uh, through those workups, those training evolutions, you went through periods of extreme sobriety of, you know, cut off from everything because you're out in the field or you're out at sea doing trials before you mm-hmm. take off where mm-hmm. you're just on for 24 hours a day for a couple weeks at a time. And then you come back in from the field and, oh, yeah. and it's on for like 72 hours. And oh, I mean, yeah. um, you know, drinking beers with uh, the boys in the barracks in town, falling asleep, you know, waking up, starting it all over again. Like right. I remember uh, being on Camp Pendleton and this isn't an endorsement for, for, you know, excessive drinking. It's just the way the culture was is a big fraternity almost at the time. Right. Oh, yeah. And when you have those long periods of extreme sobriety, it's like, I would wake up Saturday morning. I would go run six miles to sober up so I could drink again. Right. Right. That's pretty much yeah. right. Yeah, you know, I wish you go for a ruck. Uh, We're getting ready to go to Afghanistan. We should go for a ruck, and then we can continue. Yes, okay. yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So, uh, so you're kind of in that culture. Uh, picked up E5, which for uh, people that are familiar, or not familiar, it's a non-commissioned officer. Yep. E4 actually is in the Navy and the Marine. Oh uh, no, yeah, it's E4. I am my bad, my bad, yep. my bad. Yep. So, uh, so you would have been a third class. Then. A third class. Uh, yep. So non-commissioned officer, get a little bit more responsibility. Uh, at this point, when you you picked up uh, third class, or did you have anybody kind of underneath your command, or did you have a step up where you supervised anybody? Yeah. Or? So Navy's a little different. Um, Army and Marines, you guys hit E four, and you start getting uh, subordinates, right? Like people underneath you. It'd be sergeant in the Army, E five, E four in the Marine Corps, yeah, E five in Army. So I didn't know you were still a part of your department. So the engineering department, like I was just another dude, and sure. all I had to do was come to work and. You know, it's got some hit, better watch hours, hit a wrench and yeah, not even. And cause it was different. Our ship was totally different. The mine hunting community at that point had been brought in during the nineties, um, to combat some of the things that Iraq and Iran were doing during that first, per, first Gulf war. And, uh, so they weren't really run like normal Navy. And sure. I think anybody on any one of those vessels would tell you the same thing. Like I rarely even saluted my officers because it was just like, well, we're, it's 52 guys. Like we're buddies. Like everyone's a buddy and just everyone knows just get to work, do your thing and, and leave. And like the other thing that was not traditional about these mine hunters is these things, they don't last more than two weeks. Like max is two weeks. You're not um, at, at sea replenishing, which actually we did once in the in the while we were in Bahrain went fast forward a bit but um so we were never out to sea for more than two weeks and so we would I don't know when we would go train it would be like for a couple of days and we'd come back in and so there was ample opportunity to constantly be drinking or whatever or doing um just, I mean, we would fish. Like, I, li- I don't think I had much uh, other hobbies. You know, did you guys find anything mines? Uh, in the Persian Gulf, I, I think we did. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we, net, you know, you, and then EOD comes in and takes oh, sure. care of those. Um, but uh, I was in the engine room, and uh, there was the CIC. That was where all the action was happening. Sure. And we didn't really. Talk to those scrubs a whole lot. Right. Yeah. And CIC stands C, for? Um, it is the uh, Central Intelligence Command or something like that. Or I don't I know. Maybe I there's a submarine thing that you look through, you know, to look above water. Maybe on-air production meeting real quick. Maybe that's a good reminder. Let's <laughs> yeah. not use acronyms we can't, you know, uh, explain. Yes, absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's all right. Guests can do whatever they want. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. right. So uh, 
with with that, so pretty much everybody on the original ship, the Heron, then and then gets we deployed to Bahrain, which is a little island Arab country in the Persian Gulf, which happens to be the only place in the Persian Gulf you can drink. Yeah, I've actually been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got drunk in the Thunderdome. Oh yeah, I would actually watch the Marines. So the Bahamas Shard actually pulled up to the um, to port there once. And I was on watch. I don't know if it was actually the bomb armor shot or not, but um, you could tell who the Marines were that would come off the ship oh, yeah. and run to <laughs> the the taxi. So in Bahrain, um, it was a little different than other uh, ports. Um, so we get deployed over there. We get we're on the Raven at this point, the USS Raven, and um, I'm doing topside watch, which is um, on the top deck, which on these mine hunters, there's only one. There's a, there's a, there's a main deck and then an O one level and that's it. Um, on normal ships, there's like O ten and whatever it goes way up. Um, so I'm topside watch this large vessel comes in and people start leaving. And most of the first ones that come off, I'm guessing are senior personnel and they're walking leisurely down the pier. <clears throat> and then the pe- the, I'm what I'm assuming are Marines because they all have, you know, that butch haircut or whatever you guys called that. A military haircut. Yeah. Military. <laughs> <laughs> these guys think they're in the military yeah, or something? Yeah, what yeah. the hell's wrong with them? Non-Navy haircut. Yeah, yeah. So um, these guys are running down the pier. And so you come in, in Bahrain, the pier, you had to go down and then there's like a, a shuttle station. And then they drove you through a part of town and the actual naval base is like in the town of Bahrain. Yeah. And then Mike's Thunderdome is there. There's a, a, an NEX there. Uh, here's another acronym, the Navy Exchange. That's yep, yeah. what that's called. A store. Yeah. It's, it's a store. Yeah. Convenience store. It's yeah. like our Walmart because everything was like tax-free there. Yep. They had this like food court, like A&W was there, Domino's Pizza or something was there. Uh, but the shitty part was is they had to use local uh, resources mm-hmm. so like it was like goat cheese yeah. and so oh. your cheeseburgers tasted like shit your pizzas tasted like shit but you didn't care because it was like wasn't, A&W wasn't ship Don- food yeah wasn't wasn't ship food uh, we're laying out in the dirt Mike and he's over here like A&W goat cheese on it <laughs> yeah. who wants to eat that well, I, I don't know man if you look at some of them big bases uh, in the green zone near Baghdad or I'm sure Bagram or any of those ones there's probably a few uh, Cinnabons and green beans in there too so experiences uh, may differ I'll go into some of my uh, struggles, though. So typically, so the crew that we replaced in Bahrain actually lived on base or lived off of base. And they're living in like these flats. And I'm doing quotes because they call them flats. It's an apartment. Mm -hmm. But everything in Bahrain is like made out of marble and shit. And it was like nice. And like these guys are talking about all their amenities and they had. And nope, we got over there and we had to stay on board the ship. And on board these ships is, so I lived in a coffin for eight, I think it was like almost eight months or something. We were over there. Mm -hmm. I lived in a coffin. That's it. And I can't, I don't know the dimensions of what naval um, birthings were, but they, and they actually call them coffin racks because you slept on top of all your stuff underneath you. Mm -hmm. And so you opened up your bed and there's all your clothes, any, you know, Food that you wanted, snack, whatever. All you had was right there. Some of the guys that lived on the top bunks, and then there's three bunks, 
And senior personnel always got the middle because it was the easiest to get in and out. You didn't want to sleep on the bottom because all the shit flows to the bottom. And when guys are farting or whatever at night, you, you were at the bottom and you, it was the smelly part. Um, and then on top, it was typically the hottest. And I slept on top because it was more open. You got more room on there. And then you have a locker as well right there for uh, for your stuff. So uh, it was it was not ideal by any means uh, sleeping and working on a, Oof, yeah. you know. So when you guys were doing patrols out in the Gulf then too, were you, I know you were doing mine sleeping, but were you, was that the only mission you were doing in the Gulf? Or were you doing like presence patrols or kind of I, the show of yeah, force Yeah, I think there stuff? was some show of force as well. Again, we weren't briefed on a whole lot of that. Um, but at one point I, I'm pretty sure somebody had said we, uh, we were in like Iranian waters and stuff and doing things there. And, and then fast forward like t- 15 years, there was, all those sailors that got caught in Iranian waters. And well, that's stuff. because they were wearing white socks. Yes. I'm pretty sure that's why. They were wearing white they socks. They were wearing right white socks. Yeah, didn't you didn't have a PT that. belt on. Yeah. Didn't have a PT belt on. Couldn't find them or identify um, them. So you're doing those presence patrols, doing the mine sweeps um, on, on that side of things too. Uh, what was your kind of op tempo for going to see? I know you said you weren't out for more than a couple of days at a time, but how often would you go out and turn around? It was pretty, it was pretty often. Um, there was like four or five four or six of these ships over there. So there was plenty of them there. Um, and then, uh, ours broke down. Uh, imagine that it broke down and went into dry dock and dry dock is when you pull a ship basically into a big boat lift and they lift it up out of the water and they do repairs on it. It's like and a major so overhaul, major it? overhaul. They had, they had to redo the whole propeller system. I think a couple of the engines got overhauled and stuff. So you're sitting in dry dock and, now we're in Bahrain. It's the only place in that region where people can drink. So, because Saudi Arabia is a dry country. And so all these people would come over and it's a party. It's a party palace. Yeah, basically. they had like a hard rock cafe, a rock bottom uh, cafe. R- rock too. bottom brewery. Yeah, rock bottom yep. brewery. And they had, I remember an uh, Irish bar or something that I magically found. Uh, yes. Two out in town. Weird, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was potato too. <laughs> yep. Um, so naturally, party Tony. What did he do? He found he finds a party, finds a way to drink, and of course over there there's no age, so it was just right. let's go open and open it up. Did, let I mean, it flow. Did, did that ever cause any problems for you on deployment? Or oh any yeah, absolutely. Like with chain of command or getting in trouble or anything like that. Yeah, there was plenty of that, plenty of that. But again, um, when you get in trouble in the military, you you keep your mouth shut. Uh, you don't you don't say anything because. If you said something, then that ruins it for everyone else. Yeah, they skyline yourself. Yeah, and then you're the plague, and no one wants to be your buddy or whatever. And um, so that's another difficult part of, well, being a sailor, I suppose, is is uh, and again being so close to everybody on the ship. Uh, you know, carriers. There's like seven thousand people on those carriers. Oh yeah, it's like a floating eagle lake. Yes, yeah. absolutely, and these mine hunters, there's 52 guys. So like, you know, everybody by name, you know, their wife, you know, if they have kids, you know, you see them every single day. Uh, you smell their farts every single day, you know, the whole bit. So, um, yeah, when you got in trouble, you just kept it to yourself. Um, I suppose on a smaller ship like that, just like on the, you know, I equate 55 people, like a platoon reinforced, you know, or, you know, two platoons or something, but on that platoon level, if you got in trouble and it was all kept in house, 
and you handled it in house. So you yeah. got yeah. stuck with extra duty. You might have got hazed a little bit by some of your seniors. You might got to put on a couple shit watches. You know, mm. nobody wants that getting out. Yes, nobody wanted to do paper trail. You know, right. more or less of the time too. I think that that's pretty yeah. common. Yeah. So, how uh, long were you in for? How long? Yeah, how long were you in for? Like, uh, I was actually. I mean, it was four years, but I had uh, when we got back. I had almost a year left, and then I had enough leave. And at the time, they were doing a reduction in force, so I got out. So it was like three and a half years or something. But you did a four-year enlistment. I did a four-year enlistment. Yeah, sure. The early release. So that would have been what? So that was um, and oh five. You were getting oh six. Oh six. And then oh seven, um, would have is my so oh three to oh four oh seven. Yeah. Okay. Oh three. Oh seven was when you were supposed to get out. Yeah. Yeah, but then so early, the, the, early release. It, and yeah, and that early release. It was my understanding. At any point in that six month period, they could call you back. Sure, in, sure. In a heartbeat, or a, you know, like you're. You were inactive. technically just on leave. Basically, okay. yes. So yes. you went in March of '03, yeah. so you got out in September '06. Yeah, June of '06. I think it was. Oh, with terminal too. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So man, you you just missed the surge. Uh, I mean, by the skin of your teeth, because the surge kicked in. I think that fall for all service branches. Yeah. Um, and so you didn't get get called back for that, which is. That's actually pretty lucky. Right. Yeah. 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 I think they even took in more like Navy reserves at that point too. And I was surprised that I, I, I never did get a call back. Yeah. I mean, that's, there must've been a file somewhere. Huh? <laughs> nah, I think so. <laughs> there was a paper that trail. Yeah. Yeah. Bahrain, yeah. Yeah. Rock bottom brewery. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah. Just keep them out of here. So you, you, you got out of the service, came yeah. back home and then what'd you start doing with school work? Uh, yep. Um, Dad had a business in town, and I was there, apparent to that, and um, started going going to school at at South Central, and um, again, uh, party Tony went right into 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 mode there. And um, what did you want to do? Uh, I was going to take over Dad's business. And, and what did he do? And then he ran a, a, a remodeling business. Okay, construction. Home, home yep, construction, and then. Uh, so I get out, start going to school. That's 2006, 2007 time period. Then 2008 hits yep, where no n- n- like the, the, the housing market takes a dump. Um, no one's spending money on their homes. Right. Um, dad was already ready to kind of retire and shut the doors anyways. So, um, gave him a reason. Yep. He said, you know what, Tony, go do your thing. Um, and, that was easy. So now we're getting into the part of <clears throat> Navy Tony um, reacclimating himself to normal life. And per, and right when I got out, it's just you're working for your dad. Your dad's your boss. Going yeah. to school, you, you got going purpose. To school, you got, yeah. yeah, whatever. So now I'm kind of left. Uh, I don't have dad to lean on anymore for a paycheck or anything like that. And. Now I have to try to find something that I want to do. And, um, you know, you had said that, mm-hmm. uh, man, you really could have used that your engineering and your engineman experience right. to your advantage. Well, at that time I'm like, well, no, there's, right. there's, there's, I'm not going to work on a boat engine for a living. Like, I gotta go do something. Yeah, I was kind of, I was kind of being sarcastic. No, about no. <laughs> try being an infantryman and right, see yeah. what's yeah. for you. Yeah, right. Um, so 
End up working security at the Civic Center, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> which which is great and passionate. Don't be knocking on security. No, I'm just saying that's like Center, legitimately the only thing we could do when we got out. Jeez. Uh, just the worst. Yeah, so it now starts the kind of real life hit in the face, Tony. And this is in 2008 eight, time frame eight, still, nine, too? Yeah, so yeah. Still going to school? or Still going to school. Um, living with buddies? What? Yep, yep. Living with... Um, Actually, yeah, living with a buddy, and then I meet a girl, and um, we end up moving in together uh, up in North Cato, and she's kind of a cool chick, and we start to mesh, and we ended up uh, getting engaged, and now she's my wife, Jessica's my wife, and uh, we ended up moving into a townhome. I'm still working. I don't even know where I was working at this point. Uh, but then we move into a townhome that my uncle had owned. Um, he helped us out because uh, at the time we had nothing for credit. You know, sure. just kind of she just graduated from college. I'm just getting out of the Navy. Helps us out there. We end up selling that um, to get an, another home or whatever. But um Along this time, I'm still struggling with, I'm drinking all the time. I'm trying to be an adult. Uh, we have a child now, uh, adulting here. Um, I'm not one to sit around and be, sit in just a shit dead end job and just sit there. Like I'm going to go find something else that makes me happy. Well, Anything can be better than what I was working at that moment in time. Um, so I start, I don't, I'm not job hopping by any means, but I am like trying to find something to settle on in a career. Um, Where did, I thought you were at that time, or maybe this is around the time you got into it. Didn't you uh, also uh, kind of get into the service and bar industry then too? Yeah, yeah. That was kind of supplemental. And sure. um, so, yeah, I was bartending in, at downtown. And at the time, uh, I don't think Mankato had the rules. D- yeah, the bartenders couldn't drink. Couldn't then. drink. Yeah. And so, like, here's Party Tony literally bartending with right. beer and booze. So like it was game on all the time, all the time. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah. Cause I remember a bunch of us came home, um, in late 07 and then 08 too. And God, I thought I remember you bartending at, uh, blue bricks downtown, mm-hmm. uh, at one of them too. I've yep. seen you down there. Yep. Was uh, there. Yep. I was there. Um, so yeah, that was, that was actually helping out. That was main source of income while I'm trying to find this. Did you ever find anything then? A career? Yeah. <laughs> Still looking. Still looking. No. no. Got a Powerball ticket in my yeah. pocket. Yeah, right? Don't give up, man. Uh-huh. Hang in there. Uh, I I do have a very solid job now that I, uh, my career has definitely been pretty rocky. I have not, what's the word, Mike? The, um, the re- um, Reintegration? Reintegration. Yeah. I have yeah. not very reintegrated very well. Um, from working in the Navy to private sector. We'll, we'll come come back to it and pick up uh, here on this, but from where you are now from that time period of, uh, you know, trying to find a, a career post-dad, how many jobs, just an estimate, not specific, would you say you probably had? Till now? 
Yes. From Polestad till now. From Polestad till now. Probably 18, 18-ish. I've had more jobs than I've had my whole life. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, anywhere from... That search for purpose, though, I think was a big piece of it. Because we, we had crossed paths later yes. on, uh, you know, I guess recrossed paths outside of running at you, running into you at the bar too professionally and kind of volunteer capacity. And I, I, I distinctly, I didn't remember, you know, I didn't know the, the alcohol stuff was uh, going on, uh, the struggles with the addiction piece of it, you know, more than any of the rest of us that got together and had a couple of beers, right. um, at, at that point. Um, but I, I distinctly remember you, uh, you know, being pretty open and passionate about trying to find that next purpose or kind of sense of belonging mm-hmm. uh, in career profession. And it, it seemed at the time to me from an outside observer that you kind of just put your focus on, you know, employment's going to give me that passion and help fill that, that void on it. Um, and then maybe that turned out to be needed to be supplemented by something else on the more personal home front later on, I suppose. So, right. Yeah. And so the, actually the jobs just fueled the cash flow to drink and, and I didn't, it wasn't my purpose to drink. It wasn't my, um, that's not why I lived or whatever. I, you know, I was trying to, you know, live the American life and have a family and own a home and, and do all that. But man, it's, it was so much fun being, you know, (laughs) bartending and drinking and partying all the time. And, and uh, another part of it was, you know, I had left, I moved out of, my house two weeks and party with my buddies for that nine months before I went in the service. And then I get in the service and they still live their life back here. And, and I'm, I felt that I lost four years of, of I'm, I got to make four years up. But it's so, the exact opposite of what it really, I mean, it really, it really though, at oh, the end of it all, it's the exact opposite. Absolutely. You know, you went and lived a life and had all these yes. amazing experiences in different countries. And literally, literally I feel like a, a lot of times people get stuck on replay here. It's like the same, weekend and then it comes around the next year and we do the same thing on the same weekend and mm-hmm. you know Groundhog you kind of get yeah, yeah yeah you get stuck on the hamster wheel yeah um so it just you know finding the sense of purpose mike and i did end up um working together yeah so that i mean if i jump in again kind of bogarting it but just because i was there as an observer uh too but i remember uh me and another friend were both working at the time at minnesota assistance council for veterans which is a statewide nonprofit that um, helps assist veterans that are at risk of homelessness and homelessness. So uh, really at the time, the program was just coming up and it was really expanding. Uh, the mission was really being supported. Uh, and we had a lot of current conflict uh, vets that had just gotten out of service that were all like-minded, young, kind of articulate, and uh, goal-getters. I know I'm, I sound biased because I'm describing myself. <laughs> yeah, right. Forgot. <laughs> Get, Devilishly handsome. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> or smells like devil legs, one of the two. Um, and I remember we were, we were looking for another uh, outreach worker, case manager, essentially somebody that divvy up half the lower part of the state. We had 37 counties and, I mean, just go out and find vets that need help and yeah. work the community. And you have to be trustworthy to, to talk and tell a mission and, and also be able to talk people through their troubles and help them kind of recover or get through whatever is going through them. And, and Tony had reached out to my boss at the time then, and I heard he was being interviewed for it. He came down for the interview, talked to some people in the office, and then uh, he started uh, with the organization eventually, which is kind of a weird turn of events. Uh, I ended up kind of taking over the regional office there, and then Tony was actually 
you know, one of my direct reports there as one of my outreach workers. And actually, by the time he left, he was my senior outreach worker there. And I think he had told me when he left uh, that it was probably the longest place he had worked for up until that point mm-hmm. since since coming home, which was uh, probably just two years, wasn't it? <laughs> right. Uh, a whole so, yeah. I'm kind of curious as to, uh, you know, the, the, the title of the show is Strength from Service. And you talked a little bit at the beginning, Tony, about your your parents being involved uh, you know, in the in the community and in the and and being service minded, I yeah. guess yeah, I would say. Uh, the question I have is, you know, we talked about it in the introduction. You know, obviously you've you've got clean and sober now. Yeah. Did did you? I'm, I guess I'm. It's a chicken egg kind of a question. You know, did your drive for service and to serve the community and to find a bigger purpose did that drive you to become sober, or was it the sobriety that led you? down the natural path of just giving back and helping the people around you. So, yeah, I kind of, um, let's back up a bit here. Um, when my wife and I moved into this townhome, um, I immediately got on the townhome or the, uh, the homeowners association, um, and served there for that little community. Um, and I was actually, I worked for a lumber yard and I, um, I also volunteered to, um, the uh, River Minnesota River Builders Association. I got on that um, in that association and started working for because I grew up in construction and uh, it was an easy thing for me to to be a part of that association and and got on a couple of committees, got on the executive board, served with them, uh, did what what they do uh, and they do it very well. Um, along with and now I'm serving um, on this. Homeowners Association, um, get voted in as vice president. Uh, the current president then ends up like backing out and I get put in as the president. Um, but, uh, wasn't just, Hey, take over the presidential duties. We actually had a lawsuit going at the time. So here I am not, not knowing really much anything. I'm now in a lawsuit with the developer of these, townhomes and the, the, um, the law firm that we had. Uh, so I had to go through this whole huge litigation and this whole back and forth between the two as the president. And I'm like 20 some years old at that point and get exposed to this, this very intricate, like it's, that's some serious stuff. Yeah. And, um, so have that experience, Minnesota river builders association, um, then I get in with Mike, and I think prior to getting in at MACV, um, I got with the South Central Beyond the Yellow Ribbon. Yep. And sure. got in with them. Great organization. Uh, was voted in as the chair of that organization and helped that organization uh, move forward. And at the time, they didn't have their nonprofit status. And I had started that process and then ended up um, backing out of that organization due to probably the next, no, it was the next job. I wasn't going to have time mm-hmm. to, uh, to help them. Um, the next guy who comes in, they get their nonprofit and they are now currently where they're at now and just killing it. Um, and then, um, from there I get and that. I think I'm a member of the VFW at that point, but hadn't really get been much involved with, uh, serving on the committees or anything like that. And then of course, uh, Mike and I working at MACV, 
Um, he's, uh, I didn't know if he knew this, but Mike's uh, pretty good. He can talk pretty well and he's, uh, he's, he's pretty persuasive at times. And, uh, so got me to, uh, get on like the e-board of the VFW and served on that for six, eight years or something, six years. So yeah, 2014 or so, probably in there to 2020, 2000. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so if I have time outside of my job that whatever job it was, you know, I'm serving my community and, you know, growing up in Mankato, you know, um, I'm very much, you know, uh, you can't change the world until you change, you know, your house, then your neighborhood, then your city, then your county, then your whatever, blah, 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 um, that whole thing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just get involved in your community. Um, and so then after the, v, well, and then 2020, the VFW. So now my kids are being born and my daughter's involved, highly involved in dance. Um, my son starts to get involved in sports. I now coach his baseball team, his football team, and his hockey team. Um, I am full out dad mode. Um, it is all my time is devoted to my kids and who they are and what they are and and. I, whatever they want to do, I will support. And along with that comes to serving the community. So I am now on the board of the Maha, the Mankiotary Hockey Association board, mm-hmm. uh, serving on that board as well, uh, as right along with coaching and having to do practice plans and getting my own kid, practicing with my own kid. Um, I also volunteer to MC my daughter's dance recital. Uh, so that is actually a lot of fun. Oh, well, you emceed the the dance in high school, right? I did uh, emcee the dance. Yeah. Um, nice. Which the, your brother also did, too. He it's did. kind of a Dick Meyer tradition. It is kind of a Dick <laughs> which, Meyer tradition. Uh, yeah. MC dancers. Yeah, uh, which uh, which studio is your uh, daughter? Spotlight yeah, Dance I, Company. I, yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Believe me, we're, we're a big Spotlight family. Oh, yeah. Big Spotlight family uh, yeah, over you, here. You can't, be, you can't be in Spotlight. If you know, you know, all right? right. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, at the uh, daddy daughter dance when we were all hanging out in the uh, I knew I recognized the you. West parking lot uh, for the daddy daughter dance recital this year over at West. Uh, everybody's talking about the trip to the Dells, you know, for nationals. Yeah, and uh, I said, well, you know, I've I've never made the trip to the Dells, and like five dads just stopped. What? Are you serious? How do you how, how, how do you get out of that? How do you do that? You should write a book, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, just keep piling on jobs. Well, and here's dance for for the non dance parents out there. What is a, a week ago, three days ago, we booked the Dells for next, next June year. for nationals because oh, that's how ahead of it you have to be. So I'll be there next year. Yeah, <laughs> golf clubs and toe. Ready yeah. to go? Well, let's golf. Let's golf together. <laughs> oh, yeah. We did for it sure. this year. There's some great courses over there. Yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was. That was the only reason I considered going this year because I could have maybe made it work. And the only reason I was going to make it work was for the golf because you know? yeah, I've right. seen the dance numbers a hundred times. Oh yeah. You know? sure. so yeah. Just, but I, I feel you. I, I know what you're talking about with the dance and the and yep. the, the activity that way. So yeah. So you just keep going, man. You just keep burning and running and I gunning. I keep burning and, and running. So um. And mixed in with that is now in um, May of 2018, Party Tony gets in trouble and um, stupid shit, you know, alcohol was the, the major and, and most that that's that's the factor yeah. of, of why I got in trouble. That's so, actually how me and you met. 
That's court. Yeah, that's court. Yeah. Nah, we knew each other before that. From uh, Mac, from the time yeah. in Macvi and stuff like that. Dude's, not really. Dude's got TBI. Give him a break. Yeah, I'm saying. <laughs> not really though. He's I bet, mean, we he's never really bet, we, we knew each other. Yeah. Dude, all dude, cut, yeah. cut him yeah. some yeah. slack. He meets lots of dudes with two legs. Huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are hard to keep apart. Yeah. You know. All yeah. you bipeds look the yeah. same. Yeah. Two leggers is what I call you. Two two leggers. Sorry, I had to pile on there. Yeah. About coming up into 2018 though, was there anything kind of Building this, did you see kind of alcohol becoming more of a problem for you on kind of the no, personal life? No, 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 absolutely not. No, no one's going to, no one, while they're drinking, while anybody's drinking, they're not. So they're like, well, I got a problem here, you know, and no one, no one says that. I'd be, well, you got your, oh, I'm never drinking again type of thing. Uh, but nobody's like, man, I really need to, I really need to figure this out. And uh, you know what? I should back up. I'm, I'm sure there's some people who do do that and, and, but acting on it is so difficult. Sure. Okay. And so I'm still party mode and I think I'm putting back if I could drink all day and that's what you did. You know, you, you'd start in the morning and you drink all day. I could polish off a handle of captain in no time. Like, and, and I drank to blackout. And there was a number of different reasons why I did that. Uh, you know, my experiences, how I felt, uh, the whole thing. So uh, May of 2018 hits. I spent three days in the county jail uh, in my hometown. Um, it's, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a, a punch in the face, a punch in the stomach, and a kick in the dick the whole time. When you sit in county jail in your hometown... Um, you got to change your life. You absolutely have to change with what, what you're doing. Um, and so I had three days to think about it and, uh, I was fortunate enough, um, to, to know an individual that, uh, actually put me on the work release side and I didn't have to go in with the general public. Uh, so my time there was cushy, uh, per se, if you ever been there. Um, the general public side is not where you want to be. The work release side is where you want to be. Um, don't get in trouble just to be like, Hey, put me in the work release side. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah don't do that. Prove yeah. it. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I get some visits from people and like, nobody's getting visits. Like you don't get visitors. Um, my parents didn't even get to come physically see me, but, um, I'm going to use your name, Mike. Mike yeah. was one of the guys who came in. Uh, another individual that came in, um, was part of the AA community and he was like, Hey man, uh, you might want to try some AA. And I was like, yep, yeah, Okay. Uh, another one was a, a, a cop buddy of mine, an officer, police officer for Mankato PD that helped my, me and, uh, my wife out during this, this time. Uh, and then another one was, uh, my therapist that I had been seeing for since I've been out of the Navy. Uh, she's very much been a part of, of my, uh, journey, um, pre sobriety and now in, and certainly more in sobriety. Um, and that was big, huge. I'm sitting in County and here I got four physical visitors. Like it's, <clears throat> it's pretty crazy. Um, but being a veteran in Blue Earth County, there's a certain individual that, uh, can maybe pull his weight a little bit and, uh. And may have Tom McLaughlin. <laughs> uh, yeah, certainly him. Uh, and maybe this guy sitting next to me as well. But 
Um, I was very fortunate to have those four people come in and it was like an epiphany, uh, for me. Um, do you, I mean, sorry to step on it no. just, uh, cause I was on that timeline, I, I guess first, you know, before I say from my perspective, the visit piece, do you, do you mind commenting on what got you into jail for the weekend or do you want to leave that alone? Uh, it was on the internet long enough, so I'll let people, <laughs> okay. uh, I'll, uh, I don't, I don't need to dwell on that. Sure. It's certainly, that's buried. I, just, well, I mean, just yeah. for, for my part of it. So, um, but I remember hearing uh, from the family. And so as my, my position involved in vets court and, um, you know, with the, the county vets office, I get notified when veterans are in, in, in uh, jail every now and then. And uh, if we can catch them early and try and do some intervention uh, on them too and get them in touch with resources. When Tony's name came up, it was obviously a name I was really familiar with. Right. Uh, and I think it might have even been like on a weekend or something. Oh, it was, it was Friday like, night, yeah. yeah. But when yeah. I came, I think it might have been like a Saturday or a Sunday yeah, or something. Yeah, you, you did come. To get to get in there, too. So, uh, to just generalize. Swing by and see Tony after church quick in jail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, to, to generalize it, I ended up being charged with three felonies. Um, and so this is none of them he has to register for. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I don't have to register. Clarify that <laughs> right up front. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm in some deep shit, and uh, um, thankfully, Vets Court exists in Blue Earth County, and it is an ex- awesome program. Awesome program. So here I am. Um, Mike comes and visit me. He suggests and recommends that I attend treatment. Um, I'm like, yep, I am totally on board with this. Um, you know, what you did is unexcusable. You know, you, you, you don't get to, you don't get to do that and then just continue to live. Like in my mind and my, how I work, like when you get in that much trouble, you have to make changes and you have to make changes, uh, not just small changes. You have to make very big changes. So, um, w- part of our case management in MACV was to, uh, if the individual had signs of, you know, alcohol use or, or drug use or, or any kind of use, it was recommended that they go to treatment in St. Cloud. Well, there's a pretty big sign there. You were in jail for alcohol. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So my point in that yeah. is, so I end up going to treatment in St. Cloud and two, five years prior to that, I'm sending guys to treatment. And right. now here, I'm, here I am in treatment for alcohol. Um, and I actually, as it's St. Cloud, that campus is pretty cool, actually. Um, it's an old, what is it? It's some old military base, right? Yep. Yeah, that they've converted to the VA and great organization um, That's my, campus. My dad there. went through treatment up there yep. back in the you know late 70s. Sure. And finding out that there's a number of veterans from the area that went to that treatment. Um, so the first week, I'm like, no, no, I'm not. This isn't for me. This is not me. Not No chance. No way. No how. Um, and then I started to get into the podcast realm and there is a popular podcast called the the Jackal podcast. Uh good evening Jackal. Good evening. Good evening. Yeah, good evening yeah. Uh and I have it written in my phone still what episode it is, but he has an episode with a with a guy named Jody Middick. Canadian. Canadian um sniper special forces guy. I don't think he has legs or he might I don't know. 
He's he got some. He's knee deficient. Knee deficient. Yeah. <laughs> Been there, done that. Been there. Ah. <laughs> uh, so, um, what'd you call your color? Color, yeah, color, 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 Jackson, you're like, wait, he has thighs, yeah, yeah. <laughs> lucky son <laughs> of a gun, you know. Um, and so Jody was telling his story to Jocko about his alcohol use, and something just clicked with me as I'm laying in bed in treatment, not with my family, not at home, not with the comforts of anything that normal life has to offer, and I'm like, you know what. I might want to pay attention to some of this stuff. And I actually, uh, sitting in front of me on the counter is all of my treatment documents. Uh, and I regularly go back to these and, uh, you know, if I'm having a bad day or something, I, I, I revisit them. Um, so anyways, get in treatment, start actually listening and paying attention and there they go through and now treatment from when your dad went through it, it was still 12 12 step, uh, based. And now it's based on this CBT cognitive behavioral therapy and some other things. Um, and so they go through all this and, you know, I'm in these sessions and I'm like, holy shit, they're, they're like describing me to a T, um, all of these automatic thoughts that you have, the limited thinking patterns that you have throughout the day. Um, it is just, awe like eye-opening and so i get out of treatment so how many hours a day were you actually in session while you were in treatment as oh it's like a school day okay and then you have to go seven eight hours a day. seven eight hours it's and then you have to go to a meeting and there's aa meeting smart recovery and i think there was one other i can't remember but i never uh went to that other one i always went to a AA or a smart smart recovery meeting um and uh Actually, they make you do like physical activity at night too. That's part of your treatment because some of these guys that are coming in there are like <laughs> living on, geez, living on the street and like they don't have a normal life. They don't have two kids at home and a loving wife at home and, and a normal life at home. And they, you know, they have to be taught how to eat properly and sure. stuff like that. So. Brush your teeth. That, that Brush your yeah. teeth, yeah. No, seriously. seriously some of them yeah, need yeah. life skills because yeah. they're so deficient yeah. after yeah. such a long period of addiction. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they make you go do physical activity. Well, just across the street is a nine-hole golf course. And uh, so I brought my clubs up there because I knew there was, and I golfed. Yeah, like, I think I told you that. Yes, you did. Like, you, you said, bring your clubs. And so if you were a veteran, you got a free round of golf. And- this was like old terrace view. There was just one dude, you know, maybe a, a young kid working. So like you could go there. I went, I golfed like at least twice a day. Nice. Um, so yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sign yes. me up for treatment. How do I get in this place? <laughs> yeah. I yeah. bet I qualify on multiple right. levels. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I'm golfing twice a day. This is this is awesome. I'm learning about myself. I'm bettering myself and I'm bettering my golf game at the same time. Like I golfed that summer. I had probably close to a hundred rounds of golf. It was, it was, that was fun, but the treatment part, life changing, life changing. But the, the part of uh, the, the treatment part about it is, is it registered with me so much that I still carry around all of the material still. And was that a, a 30 day, 30 uh, days? Yep. Yep. Sure. Some went for 45. 
I did 30, um, they were very much comfortable with me leaving. Sure. And so at, at this point, I mean, you have a, a wife, do you have two kids at home? Two kids at home. And yeah. so, uh, kind of what was your, your feelings or did you have an anxiety about returning home oh, back to the family man. and yeah. getting back to the, yes. that side of it? Ve- yeah. Um, I know treatment's very, you know, self-focused for a reason, but then yep. you're kind of reintegrating again, just like Reintegr- post-Navy, you have a reintegration yep. back to your family. I have a reintegration back to my family. I, uh, I was able to drive up there. I drove myself home. Um, I'm like, shit, what am I going to say to my wife when I see her? What am I going to say to my kids when I see them? Um, you like, start with hi. Yeah. Uh, so I get home, don't unpack my truck. I come inside and the house we lived in at the time was your typical split level where you can go up or down. And I could hear my wife downstairs in our laundry room and she is cleaning up my dog's Oh no! shit that he had sprayed all over the wall because he had gotten sick. Oh no. And I just, she was down on her knees. I got down on my knees and I just gave her a huge hug and said hello. And I didn't even say, how are you? Because I knew she was dealing with <laughs> yeah, my yeah. dogs. Uh, everybody's shit. Feces, everybody's <laughs> shit. So, um, yeah, and just from there on out, it's, um, it's been pretty good. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, well, so, I mean, you're still married. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, yeah, I'm still married. Strong woman. Uh, so she's still with you. Yes. Yeah. Oh, amazingly strong. Like any cliche, like my rock, she is definitely an angel. Like, um, for sure. She was, she's here because of, you know, she's my angel, my guardian angel, whatever. Like, um, she is all everything. Cause who, in their right mind gets put through all of this and still stays with that person. So now comes vets court and, um, you know, I'm going through this process and I had adhered to what, um, treatment had. So I'm going to adhere to what vets court is doing. And I get, um, you know, I got three felonies in front of me. Um, you know, I'm on probation. It was a three year probation um, I do vets court. Um, I'm every week, every month I'm there, I'm doing it. I'm doing what they tell me to do and not just tell me to do it. I'm doing it. I'm doing, I'm going above and beyond. <clears throat> um, well, I think a big, big thing or misnomer about veterans court or the treatment courts is it's like you're mitigating and getting like a free pass. I mean, that, it's actually a hell of a lot more invasive than oh, like yeah. your probation because you still have your regular probation and then you get the court team that still checks in on you, that yeah. pops by, that interrupts their li- your yeah. life and then sets tasks and accomplishments. Yeah, what is your goals? You. Keep make, make sure you're still on this track and make sure you're still doing what you told us you were going to do. And, and I'm, I'm all in, I'm buying in, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% doing this. And they, they assign you with a mentor too. I'm trying to remember who your mentor was. Oh yeah. It was somebody, you know, was it? I, yeah. I, I really, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it was, was, your was dad. my old man. Huh? <clears throat> it yeah. was your dad who happened to also, um, bring me into the AA community as well. Um, so know your dad and have a lot of, I'm very grateful for what your dad has done for me as well. Um, what was, what was that support structure like differently on the AA recovery community back essentially in your hometown versus being in a enclosed treatment environment? I mean, do you you have any kind of parallels between the two or is it? Well, you get to see who's in AA actually in your hometown and, um, you know, there's this, uh, 
what is it? Uh, you know, what are the type of people that go to AA and you think of actually Tyson and I just talked about this and it's like the, the homeless bum from Dennis the Menace, that movie, mm-hmm. you know, greasy hair, eating beans, bean can, uh, you know, tin yeah. can type of guy. And it's no, it's not. It's there's regular people there, like people you work with go to these AA meetings here in, in Mankato. Uh, some guys come in the suit and tie. Yeah, because addiction doesn't give a shit if you're rich or if you're poor. No. I mean, addiction just cares, you know, to tear your soul away. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, um, I'm I'm going to AA regularly. Uh, Tom is definitely, you know, hard nose. He's he's very much about his sobriety, and and I've learned from that. Uh, have have taken that uh, feather and put it in my hat as well. How, uh, how long did it take? Do you think? you know, after being exposed to the recovery community back home to where I know seeing a lot of people come through the court before, you can definitely tell when people are just going through the motions. Oh at yeah. First. Where, I mean, you were obviously looking for a change and, and, and had some internal things you were, you know, becoming aware of and addressing, but do, do you remember, was there ever kind of like a, a moment in where you were like, yeah, this is my path. Probably my, after my first year. Sure. Um, cause you're still kind of like, you got to say that you're an alcoholic in AA. And it's really weird to say, like, I'm an alcoholic. Well, what I thought alcoholics were the bum and like guys who had to get up and, you know, hit a bottle of or a pint of vodka to, to get them going. They're shaking. They, they, you know, that that's that red dingy look. And like, I had to sit there and say, hi, I'm Tony. I'm like, I'm an alcoholic. And I still do say that to this day. Um, but yeah, after that year, I'm pretty comfortable with it. Um, and then you get to the point where I guess you can start seeing people's, you can start reading, you know, read between the lines type of thing with some people. And you get people that come into the meetings that maybe are just going, having a bad day or two. Um, if you start to see somebody, week over week, week, week after week, after week, after week, they're more than likely going to be the one that, that fits the bill and, and stays sober. I actually think that there is a, a, like only nine out of 10 people that go to treatment, um, or one out of 10 actually stay sober mm-hmm. and, and multiple, uh, the other nine mm-hmm. relapse and have on some other thing. So same thing with, with AA and in any meeting is you got to go to them and you, it, it's got to be part of your journey and part of your sobriety is, is meetings. Um, so. And, and for those, I guess that may be listening or are interested, I know obviously you don't get into the, you know, who's there and all, all that side of it. But um, I, I guess, what is it about that, that reoccurrence or that the meeting format itself about that open sharing uh, with others that are in similar uh, that kind of, uh, helps maintain your sobriety or reinforce that, yeah, this is the path I want to be down. Yeah. It's therapeutic for me. It's therapeutic. Cause if I can get it off my chest and talk about it, that is absolute therapy for me. I'm also a very big trial and error guy and I don't have to go through some trial because I can hear you tell me that week that you went through this and it sucked. And I can, I can hear that from a complete stranger and they're like, you know what? I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And 
just what I went through. I don't want to go through that again. I don't want to do that. I, that's not who I am. I am not that person. I will never, ever be that person. I left that person in cell 13 in the county jail. Like that guy's never, ever, ever coming back. Uh, now forever is a very long time. So you have to work at it. You have to grind at it. It is daily. Daily. I mean, I talk about it all the time. I mean, every day we have to become the best new version of ourselves. You yeah, know, be kind of better my, than who you were my, yesterday. Yeah, 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 that's kind of what my book is based off, you know, and everything is about attitude and perspective. And if you wouldn't have gone into this with the correct attitude, you never would have, you never would have been able to pull through like you did. And, and honestly, now where you're at now, the, all the different perspectives you have of the different lives you lived help you create the, the best life that you have today, you know? Right. Absolutely. That's a very, well, and you nailed it on the head earlier. You, you, you actually set this all up earlier in the, in the conversation when you said you can't change the world till you change your house, change your town, change your, change your County, change your state. You know, it's, it's not, you don't change the world in a day. You got to You got to do it one day at a time, one step at a time, one process after another. I mean, we all screw up and, and, uh, you know, we all, we all, you know, have somebody else, you know, pick us up by our play carrier and drag us off the battlefield or whatever it may be, you know, in, in life, you know, in general, you mm-hmm. know, but, um, you know, really what you do, um, when you make these decisions and you look at who you were and you're like, that's not who I want to be. I want to yeah. become this person. And you look at all those people that helped you get to where you, where you want to be and where you're going and things. And, and, uh, it really puts a, a an emphasis for yourself to want to give back to your community because, um, you want to pay it forward, you know? And, uh, I feel like, um, especially us in the military, we never want to, we never want to feel like we ever took from anything. We want to feel like we, we help push the cart, you know, we didn't sit on the cart, you know? And, and, uh, I think the best, I think you're doing the best things though, man, for real. I mean, if you look at what you're doing with, you know, being a good dad and, and, um, you know, coaching and doing all those things and trying to contribute to your community, you know, I mean, that's ultimately, uh, the, the person that, you know, a lot of people can uh, look up to and say, Hey, you know, um, you know, we all stumble, you know, he was in the military, he did this, he did that. And he, you know, he came out and, and, you know, he served his, served his sentence, did his thing and <clears throat> look at him now, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's, uh, somebody that we can, uh, anybody in the community could look up to. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. That, that was too, uh, you know, I've watched a lot of people go through vets court, something that really kind of impressed me about Tony's demeanor and, and shift even from the visit in the jail cell is um, we've had, you know, people that I was close with that succumbed to addiction and didn't get a second chance that, right. that ended up, you know, succumbing to their addiction and dying. And so they're not here right. and they left kids, uh, they left families, they left, you know, parents uh, on this planet. But um, it, there's definitely, and, and not going through it myself, but when I went into uh, the jail cell that day in May, it definitely... Uh, when I talked with Tony, uh, not to get a gushy, and I gave him a hug too. It just felt like he he recognized this was bottom. Like yeah. this is yeah. Yeah. this is my bottom. But then there was that you know a glimmer of hope still in his eyes that well, there's a way up now that I'm at the bottom. Only way. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a, you know way up. Yeah. The only way. This is this is my bottom. And so, anyways, uh, with that too, talking about you know going through the spratty, the com- comfortability about it. I remember, and we can use his name because you guys are on, on a show, uh, Tyson uh, Dalfort, but I remember you talking to me a couple of years in your sobriety that, you know, Tyson, who was, you know, a real good friend of Tony's, best friends growing up, and I would say more of an acquaintance of mine in, in high school, but I, I knew of him. And, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of those discussions that, you know, Tyson's running into a lot of the same issues with alcohol that, you know, I was and talking about some of the conversations you were having with him and, you mm-hmm. know, uh, kind of some of that mentorship. Um, and then having... 
would have been three years in, into your sobriety about when uh, Tyson uh, decided to give sobriety a chance to as well. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and w- was that something you were involved with in that discussion or was it? Yeah. He, uh, he's your best friend. Yeah, yeah. He had, he had reached out a couple of times and uh, you know, he was fully engulfed in, I mean, he, that's his career was, is, is the restaurant service industry, the bar industry. Um, he, he can tell his story. And, and if you listen to our, listen to our podcast as well, um, he, he goes into it more, uh, but he had, he had come to me and, um, used me as kind of a mentor. And, uh, you know, I had also had mentored some in vets court after I graduated from vets court and, um, that sense of community, that sense of giving, that sense of service, uh, really does push you through the day as well. So when, when my best friend comes and says, Hey, I need help. I want to do this. Um, I'm, I'm all ears. Like, let's go, let's, let's figure this out. So, um, we ended up now he's two years sober. I'm five years sober. We decided to, to, to start our own podcast called, you know, two dudes that don't drink two dudes, two, two dudes. dudes, two dudes, two dudes. Cause yeah. we want to make it uh yeah. casual right. and like, right. Hey, like, remember like everyone's got their Could have done two dudes and no cup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, oh my God, that would have been that oh. escalated quickly. Yeah. Trademark yeah. somebody. Yeah. Well, and I think, and uh, the podcast I think is excellent. And the fact that you do the, the two dudes, you know, uh, and again, we'll bring it uh, kind of full circle a little bit, you know, strength from service, you know, this show that's on the radio, it's also, you know, podcast. Um, the reason we started this is we wanted to avoid that stigma of uh, when you hear about uh, service, whether it's military or, you know, EMS and police, mm-hmm. fire, mm-hmm. teachers, whatever. Um, and, and especially when you attach addiction to that, because it seems to be they seem to go hand in hand. Uh, you hear you hear the uh, the sorrow, you hear the, yeah. the sad, you hear the dark, you hear the bottom story. You never hear. You know, we, our job here, our, our focus and our goal here is to, is to focus on that bounce back, that yeah. that strength that you gain from all of that stuff. Because, you know, I hate to sound cliche, but if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger, right? right. I mean, just, you, you got to take that. You know, you don't get stronger by not working out. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to test mm-hmm. yourself. And and it seems like, you know, you've obviously done. I would I want to ask the question since now with five years sober. Have, has your service to the community gotten stronger? Have you done more? But you were doing so much before. I don't know how you could do more. Right. You right. Know? Well, I've definitely stepped it up for my family because I failed my family mm-hmm. for so many years. And uh, I feel like I need to uh, go above and beyond for my family to kind of make up a little bit of that. Sure. Um, so I do. Um, I've, I've stepped up in, you know, volunteering to, to right. do the recitals, the MC recitals coach my kid in, in the sports. Um, and if there's an opportunity to serve on a board, I will, which I, I certainly have, uh, as well. Um, but another part of why Tyson and I decided to do the podcast was to serve the recovery community and to give them new, a new perspective on asking for, um, for help or, just asking somebody who's been through it for experience. Tyson went on a podcast with uh, George mm-hmm. um, 
and George has has started to uh, bring on guys to kind of show people that it's okay for men to to come out and and say, uh, hey, I'm struggling with alcohol or whatever. And Tyson and I have now taken that to the next level and um, just you know keep it casual. You know, hey, come and have a have a candid conversation with me. Um, keeping it light, uh, putting some, some, some new information, maybe some new views of how it's gone, how it's been. Um, cause you know, alcoholics anonymous, you're, mm-hmm. you, you, you try to stay anonymous. Well, we're kind of being, becoming non-anonymous here. Like we're okay with who we are now and we're, we're so found, we have such a strong foundation that we feel like we can can do some good in the community and and tell people how to do this or sure. to to well to uh, be to be a personable example too because yeah. you're not you know um uh jody middick that's a special forces sniper that was wounded twice that's you yeah. know talking about how he's in recovery yeah we're regular dudes yeah. Right. yeah we're yeah. regular guys yep. like you know that are, are talking about your your struggles and and your trials and what worked for you as well and making that relatable for the community and having the positive side of it through recovery and showing that there is uh, absolutely just like there's strength from service, there's strength in recovery and a big piece of the recovery piece is, you know, serving others and, and giving back and helping what you've done uh, tenfold with obviously a close personal friend, but then also through mentorships and how no, who knows how many countless people and AA groups too, through sponsorships on that side of it too. But then also, you know, those people that maybe haven't started their recovery journey yet who get wind of two dudes that don't drink and listen to it and see mm-hmm. that it's, it's okay to not be okay, but then it's okay to, to work on it. And even you're normalizing, um, you know, your, your, uh, pre uh, drinking and your post drinking continuance on upkeep and mental health and the, the ability to say it's okay to enter treatment in a facility and right. take care of yourself, man. Right. That's, that's all public service. It's avoiding the, the stigma as, you know, yeah. as, as dudes, we wouldn't let, you know, you wouldn't let your lawn go to, to you know, go to seed. You wouldn't let your, you, you're going to change oil in your car. You're going to take care of everything else around you, but we have this stigma of not taking care of ourselves. Right. And I think, uh, uh, before I, cause we're getting close to wrapping up here, yeah. but before, uh, I, I got to point out when we talk about service, you hit one of the nails on the head that we really haven't touched on a lot specifically, but service to your family is still service mm-hmm. serving your, because, uh, there's a great guy. I, I really love every time I get a chance to see him speak. His name is Brian Dodge and Brian Dodge says, uh, when you go to work, be at work and be the best person at work you can be because you want to be as fast and efficient and productive at work so that you can go home and be home and yeah. be there for them. You know, right. you have to learn to separate those. Uh, and if you do, if you just do the best you can everywhere, not just at home, but if you do it well that way too. So you're still, you're, you are present when you're there. And Absolutely. sometimes you don't realize it until you're spending 30 days away from them going, wow, man, look what I had and look what I could lose. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. That's sure. a, that's a big part of it. So. Well, uh, all right. Before, oh, did you have something? No, else? I was okay. going to say I, I really appreciate uh, you. I got to ask my questions before we go. Yeah, yeah this no is a new thing we just had. This is the so I, I always like to ask before we wrap up uh, three simple questions that are very deep. <laughs> all right, if you could go back, uh, if you could go back, what would you tell your younger self? If you could tell your younger self anything. Um, God, I have thought about this a lot. Should have joined uh, the army. Yeah, should have joined, <laughs> joined the army. Um. 
seen that coming. Focus on the little things. Um, and maybe like clues, focus on those clues, focus on yourself. Um, everything, not everything is going to be as easy as you think it is going to be. Um, you will grind for things. Uh, cause high school is pretty damn easy and high school, your childhood is very easy. And I don't think there's enough kids that go through, well, myself growing up, I didn't have a whole lot of hardship growing up. It was pretty easy. Uh, I wish I would have had a little bit more hardship growing up. Uh, so I would tell my younger self that grind, Mm -hmm. continue to grind. And I am grinding now and I've grinded every day. I have been sober and these have been the some of the best five years, years of, of my life. Right. Uh, to wrap it up, if you could, would you go back and do it all over again the same way? No. Fair enough. Uh, Tony Dickmeyer, thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. So uh, this has been another episode of uh, Strength in Service. Remember, you can uh, hear this not only here on the radio, but you can also hear it uh, on our podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, make sure you... uh, what do we uh, download, subscribe, follow? Yeah, yeah, follow, yeah, yeah sure. subscribe. We do all that good stuff. So uh, we appreciate it. So yeah, uh, thanks, Tony. Appreciate Jack, it. Jack, thank you. Mike, thank you. And uh, Tony, keep on keeping on, man. Thanks. Will do. Thank you. Bet.